and welcome to Primary Care Spotlight, the podcast that brings you all the latest news and insights from Cornwall Primary Care Training Hub. Cornwall Primary Care Training Hub is delivered in partnership with Kerner Health CIC, working on workforce development programmes across the Cornwall health and care system, and we are here to support all those working in primary care. Hello and welcome to Primary Care Spotlight. In this bonus episode, Rosie Brown interviews Lisa Ledger, a dietitian who works within primary care in St. Austell. And this is going to be quite appropriately released during uh, Dietitian's Week. So this episode really is a fantastic listen. I learned a lot listening to it about the wonderful work that dietitians do and the ways in which they can support primary care, uh, support GPs in general practice, um, take away some of that workload. So a really, really interesting listen. If you aren't too familiar with uh, dietitians and what they do in primary care, this is really quite uh, enlightening on that. So I'll let uh, Rosie and Lisa take it from here. Enjoy. I'm here with Lisa Ledger today, a dietitian in Cornwall um, who works with St Austell Primary Care Network as an interim strategic manager. She's been a practicing dietitian for 16 years um, and has been leading the community team for some time. Lisa worked with Plymouth University and the British Dietetic Association to investigate how dietitians could work within primary care. She's also completed a study on frailty and malnutrition in primary care, and following this, NHS Improvement funded more work in the area. So my name's Lisa Ledger. I am the professional lead for dietetics at RCHT and CFT. Do you mind just telling us a bit about your roles at the moment and where you work and where you sit? I have worked as a dietitian for 16 years. I started in Cornwall um, in 2005 um, as what was called a basic grade dietitian at that time. I then decided that I wanted to do some travel before I settled down. So I did some travel um, and when I came back, I was penniless. So I applied for a job anywhere. The job I got was up in Cheshire. So I lived up there and stayed there for over 10 years uh, where I met my husband and had my family. I was working as a home enteral feeding dietitian at that time in Cheshire. And then um, I very much decided that community was the area of healthcare that I really enjoyed. Um, I started working as a team lead and then decided I wanted to relocate back to Cornwall. So I relocated back to Cornwall and I got a team lead job in Plymouth and then continued to work in Plymouth until I got the job back in Cornwall where I worked my way up to professional lead for dietetics. Um, just as someone who is not immersed in dietetics at the moment, what does professional lead mean? What kind of role does that take and how are you working with other dietitians? So there are two parts of leading dietetics. There's an operational lead, uh, which isn't specifically for dietetics, it's for the whole of therapies. And that's really important to make sure that we're meeting our targets for patient care, um, that we're doing everything operationally we need to do. My role is about making sure we're taking the profession forward. So we're showing where dietetics needs to sit within the evolving healthcare systems and with the integrated care areas and and, um, how the NHS always changes. Um, making sure that we're attracting students into the profession um, and the other side of things, making sure that the dietitians themselves are meeting what governance we should be doing, that we are allowing everybody to be both clinical 
and also always evolving with their own professional development, their own career choices, um, making sure that everybody's finding joy in work, that we're retaining staff, that we are keeping everybody in the profession because within the NHS it's a challenging time where people are finding other careers that are kind of potentially options that they would rather go for than the NHS. We need to make sure we're retaining people in terms of the long-term plan. We need to make sure we're keeping people within the NHS. It's really important, isn't it? Retention is something we have a massive problem with and capacity within general practice. So we're constantly advertising, bank, agency, everything. (laughs) There's nothing we don't run advertising. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're really good, Lisa, if we could understand how dietitians can get from their first training and their first education into primary care and what the journey might look like. So dietitians traditionally work in secondary care. That's where we tend to sit or we'll go into freelance. So primary care is a new um, career option for us. Um, and those doors have just opened up in the last couple of years with the introduction of the R's roles, which are additional roles reimbursement scheme. Um, so as, as part of that work, part of my role was to look at research on how dietitians can work within primary care, um, in addition to a couple other dietitians across the country as well. And have you found, since the R scheme has been introduced, have you found that to be effective? Are people embracing that and using those additional roles effectively? So um, the additional roles tend to be going to professions that are well understood so um, PCN, so primary care networks, they really understand what a paramedic can do and what um, appointments they can take off a GP. So obviously the idea of the additional roles reimbursement scheme was to take the workload off GPs. There aren't enough GPs um, and obviously the pressures on the NHS with the amount of numbers that are seeking healthcare are really high. So the idea is what other professions can be drafted in to really take the toll off the GPs. Plus, a lot of GPs recognise that they're not the specialist in a lot of different areas. So it's a win-win for both people. So, for example, mental health is an additional roles reimbursement scheme um, funding option. And a lot of GPs find that their speciality is not mental health. So actually outsourcing that to other practitioners that have solely trained in mental health is both best for them and best for the patient journey. So the idea is now that dietitians... Um, are involved in that and like I said I've been involved in the work to see how we can work within primary care but it's still very much evolving because dietetics is something that's not well understood by GPs and nurses. So that's where the work is. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to know what kind of patients you're seeing within primary care in dietetics that could take the pressure off general practice. So the the studies that we looked at so there was three studies with Plymouth University And we looked at frail and malnourished patients, which is a big cohort and a big reason for hospital admission and also recurrent GP appointments um, once they've come out of hospital or leading up to their hospital admission. People that are malnourished tend to, um, they have a four times higher risk of mortality, but also significant um, complications associated with being malnourished. Um, people that are not drinking well enough will be more likely to be dizzy, they're more likely to fall. If they're malnourished and they fall, they're more likely to break something. Therefore, there's a big um, spiral of problems that happen. You also tend to have weaker muscle um, and therefore, obviously, you're falling more, but you're less likely to live longer at home. And obviously, with the long-term NHS plan, we need to make sure that patients are living well in their own home. So we can very much 
make sure that we are keeping patients as well as they can be at home for longer. Uh, So that's with regards to frailty and malnutrition. There's also a lot of work within diabetes, which again is a big problem within the UK. So dietitians can really focus on the treatments needed for diabetics um, and poorly controlled diabetes. Um, That leads out into things like gestational diabetes, um, type 2, type 1. So where we do have secondary care services, it's a very limited amount of patients that will be seen. It's very complex patients that will be seen. Um, The general population with type 2 won't be seen by a dietitian in secondary care. So there's a big gap there where the majority of the patients aren't being seen on a regular basis and getting that expert care. The diabetes nurses do a great job in terms of the PCNs, but there's that gap in terms of diet. And obviously diet is really important um, as part of their diabetic care. There's also paediatrics. Paediatrics is a massive one um, in terms of how we can take GP appointments off. So we know that patients will revisit their GP significant amounts of time um, with things like cow's milk protein allergy, um, faltering growth, uh, reflux, constipation, allergy, selective eating, growth issues. Um, So those patients will um, continuously go back to the GP because it's a distressing time um, for them when their child is crying, they've got colic, you know, they've got really significant symptoms and that impacts very much on the parent. So while um, parents are waiting for their secondary care referral, they are visiting their GP to keep getting reassurance there's nothing more sinister going on. So what dietitians can do is they can completely take over that journey with the patient So straight from triage, straight from telephone triage, based on the symptoms, the child can be signposted straight to the dietitian who will then work out what the issues are. They'll make sure they get rid of any red flags. So if there's anything that's really concerning, they will obviously, of course, signpost the GP. So we're not allowing anything to go unsafe. But a lot of those um, babies and children can simply be seen by the dietitian. It's like missing out a step, isn't it? And, and yeah. a long wait. Yeah. There's, um, so we can also see gastro- uh, gastroenterology patients, so celiacs, irritable bowel disease, so ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, cystic fibrosis patients we tend to see, so we can advise on Creon and anything that needs to go with that high NG intake needed for um, cystic fibrosis. We also can see weight management patients within the other services that are around with the council. Um, so irritable bowel patients, we know we've done a study and that cohort of patients can see their GP up to 10 times before they see a dietitian. So that's a significant amount where the patient is coming back because they're getting recurrent symptoms and are understandably worried about those recurrent symptoms. Whereas again, that could be dietitian led where the patient gets taken straight from triage to the dietitian. The dietitian can request bloods to ensure there's no red flags that are being missed but then they can take that patient through the journey of what they need to be doing and take that work off the GP. So um, if you could just tell us a little bit more about the frailty study you undertook on what results you found and how you think that could, the results could be implemented within primary care perhaps. The primary care study that I did, as I said, focused on frailty and malnutrition. And what happened there was a proactive um, reaching out to patients. So we did a search on system one And we pulled out anybody who had a BMI of less than 20. I then phoned those patients and I asked if they would be happy for my involvement. If they went on to say yes, then we would discuss uh, whether it was unintentional weight loss, whether they'd always been that weight or just a bit further, you know, is it their clothes getting looser? What are they noticing? And what I found with a lot of elderly, frail patients 
was that they thought getting uh, more frail was part of normal aging. And that certainly doesn't need to be the case for a very long time. So I invited any patients that were experiencing unintentional weight loss or they had concerns about their weight. Um, Maybe they were in the clinically underweight bracket into the practice where I gave them a consultation. So I did a lot of measurements on them. I measured their arm strength, their leg strength, how quickly they could walk four meters. I would talk to them about what their food and drink intake was. I would do their weight. And then we would discuss what dietary changes they could do that were very practical um, to try and make themselves stronger, along with also just basic exercise advice to make sure that what they are taking in dietary-wise was also supported by muscle growth. With those patients, I then invited them back two to three months later and did all the same measurements. And what I found was a nearly 30% improvement in arm and leg muscle strength, which is hugely significant. That means that we're going to have patients that are not falling as much, that they are more robust and able to carry on with um, daily living activities at home. So again, very much in term with the long-term um, NHS plan. And taking that, how have you found the results to be received? Um, and how can you take those positive results and get them integrated into kind of normal care of the frail patient? So it's really important that we are treating patients before they go to hospital. So this is why it's really essential that we are targeting people while they're living in their own homes. Once you get into a cycle of being repeatedly admitted to hospital for falls, getting into a system where you might be going to a care home, it's a downward spiral of how you're going to improve. It's really important that we are doing those proactive that proactive work in line with initiatives like Aging Well, Um, to make sure that, like I say, we can keep people at home where the majority of patients want to be. They want to be at home living their life independently for as long as possible. Yeah, let's go back a bit and talk about dietitian training. So that would be really, really useful, I think, for other members of the multi-professional team who perhaps don't know. Uh, So what we tend to train in a traditional route at the moment is we'll train in either adults or paediatrics and therefore some of the dietitians that will be working at what would be needed at primary care level will be that adult or or paediatric trained person. What we are doing now with the profession as part of my role is to make sure that from the very beginning when we're starting out our careers we're training in all different specialities so we can be more Um, available to primary care routes because obviously we're going to get a big diverse range of patients that are coming in so we're very much working on how we can work in a future um, care way. So very much in your role, well your entire role but sitting with the PCN I imagine you're looking very much about the future of dietetics and where you're going to sit and and how the profession is going to grow. Just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. So with regards to um, the future of dietetics, we very much need to move from secondary care. So secondary care will always have its place. We will need to have our specialities. So renal, for example, for patients on dialysis, we will need to have um, enteral feeding. So patients on tubes in their own home. We will need to have um, your cystic fibrosis patients that are seeing their consultant on a regular basis. And those also admitted to the ward. There's obviously a lot of malnutrition that we pick up at ward level. That will never change. What we do need, though, is that um, treating patients at home. So we need to be seeing a lot more people before they have significant problems. There's obviously some problems that you aren't going to stop. You know, people that are going to go on to renal failure. I say that place will always be there. But 
we need to stop some of the underlying causes, which is a, a big reason why um, patients are getting their GP appointments. It's their underlying causes that need dealing with. And obviously, dietitians will very much have their place if we can be a lot more proactive in primary care. So, uh, yeah, Lisa, looking ahead at integrated care areas, what do you think we can be expecting? So I would really hope with our integrated care areas that we are getting a full MDT of allied health professionals throughout those areas. So it's really important to look at occupational therapy, physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, podiatry, dietetics, how we're going to link with national initiatives like Aging Well to make sure that we are all working as an integrated care system, like I say, that is closer to patients in their own home. So patients are getting timely care um, in a place-based way. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. all today from primary care spotlight thank you for listening and i look forward to you joining me again soon for more information you can visit our website www.kernerhealthcic.org.uk forward slash cornwall training hub you can also follow us on twitter at cornwall underscore th and on facebook at cornwall training hub to speak to the training hub team about how we can help your practice or career please contact us at kernerhealthcic.workforce at nhs.net if you have content ideas or would be interested in being interviewed for the podcast, please do get in touch. Bye for now.